way back in the late 60s when I completed my master's degree, I had no idea I was going to become a student again. But after getting into teaching and because I made friends with a colleague who was going to Brock to get his Master of Arts, I registered a second time to do a second master's in education this time. When I look back, it was fortuitous because without that second master's, I probably wouldn't have ended up with the PhD that I finally did end up with. But that's for another story. As it turned out, I was taking courses for a master's in education. And one of the people I took a course from was a professor by the name of John Novak at Brock University. And I remember having to go to John's house, which was not far from where my parents lived in the south end of St. Catharines, and really being impressed with the things he was doing and, and that he was reading all these professional books and philosophical, educational-oriented books. And at the time, he was working on a book that eventually was published that was called Invitational Learning. Invitation to Learning might have been the title. But the idea was, in his book, that in order to encourage people to learn properly, to encourage our students to learn, we had to invite them to engage in learning activities we were already in a process of change where we were moving from teachers being the sage on the stage to the guide on the side. And since the school was losing the authority to be able to look at a group of students and say, this is what you have to do, and if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen, we were already looking at a watering down of the authority of the school system. And so the idea that we had to invite students to learn was not only new, but germane to the social milieu in which it was being published. I used to think about that book a lot. And when I was teaching teachers, I referred to the idea of the Pied Piper of Hamlin. For those of you that don't know the story, it was in the Middle Ages and it was the time, it came from the time of the, today we would say the pandemic, but it was the bubonic plague and the black, the black plague. And of course in Europe, the problem was, was that the plague was spread by rats. And so the Pied Piper of Hamlin was engaged to play music so that the rats would follow him out of the city, which would mean the city would be cleansed of the plague. And then it was transposed into the idea of children following the Pied Piper. And so I used to tell my students in the College of Education 
that we became like the Pied Piper of Hamlet. We had to engage our students so they would follow us on a learning journey. And that's exactly what invitational learning is all about. So how does that work really in the classrooms? How do we encourage students to go on a learning journey and follow us? How do we encourage them to follow the leader, if you will? So some of the things we need to do, first of all, is we learn to, we need to individualize instruction. We need our students to think about the fact that what they're learning is geared to what they're able to do and not the whole class. So they need to feel that they are the center of your lesson planning, of our lesson planning. We need to know the students, their likes and their dislikes. And we need to be empathetic to who they are as people, as children. I had a workman here this week who came to service our furnace. And at the end, I, when he was leaving, I told him I completely forgot to ask him his name. And he said his name was AJ. And he said that his mother and father wouldn't be happy with the fact that he called himself AJ. And I reminded him, or I told him, that when I used to begin the school year, I would get my students and I would go through the class list and I would start to try to remember who they were and what their names were and to make sure I could pronounce their first and last names properly. And when a student introduced himself as Daniel so-and-so, or Jonathan so-and-so, or Catherine so-and-so, I would ask them what they would use to introduce themselves when they put their hand out, meeting a stranger as an adult and say, hi, my name is, because as a teacher, especially of adults, I should call them what they want to be called. Not in a bad way, but the name that they would use. Lots of kids, their parents say, you're Daniel and don't you ever forget it. But when they're talking to their friends, they become Dan or Danny. Or I used to tell my students I had a class of, I had a class once where I had six Chrises. One was Christian, one was Christine, one was Christopher, and so on. And it's important to use the names that the students themselves think of themselves as, because that means I'm trying to remember where they're coming from. Another part of an invitation to learning is empowering students to do things on their own and to give them a feeling that they are, that they count, that they're important. In an elementary school, that would mean when you have to send the attendance down to the office, you don't always 
turn to the same person all the time. You rotate it. You have to make every student in your class feel like that once in a while the spotlight is on them, that they count, that they're part of the group. You can't ignore anybody because as soon as you ignore a student in your class, you're giving them a false signal. You're telling them that they don't count. And you want anything but that. You want kids to feel that they count, that they're important. Every child deserves his or her moment in the sun. Every child deserves an opportunity to show that they're capable, that they understand. And you have to make them feel better about themselves because if you make them feel better about themselves then they will respond to you they will respect you because you have shown them respect invitational learning is a concept that is related to the schools but the idea of invitation to anything crosses outside of the school into the real world. For a long time, I have been on boards of organizations. I was the chairman of the board of an arts organization in my community. And the first thing I did when people came in was I went up to them and I shook their hands and I said hello and I asked them how they were. I wanted them to feel that I was connecting with them as individuals first. I can't expect anybody, nobody should expect anybody to participate with them on any project unless they're prepared to invest in that person's feelings, that they count, that they're important, that they belong. Lately, I have been exchanging emails with students that I started in public school with. And the idea that we're still communicating through email, 65 years since we were in school together, with some 70 years since we were in school together, sends a very important message to all of us that we mean something and in today's world when there is so much instability and so many mental health issues to be able to say somebody else you are important to me however that might be conveyed you are important to me and what you are thinking about and how you are feeling and the journey you are on is important in an organization just today just today not less than an hour ago not more than an hour ago sorry i got an email from the president of an organization that i'm working with him in, and he said, I can't do something tomorrow the way I thought I was going to be have to do it. Can Are you open to us 
changing the date. It would have been very easy for me to say, no, institutionally, we shouldn't do that. We told everybody we were going to do this. We'll draw the line in the sand. And But I said, sure. If, it need, if you need to take a break, if you need to do something else, there's no harm in saying yes instead of no. When you say yes to somebody, you are empowering them. You are making them feel important, whether that be in school, in organizations, in social work. First and foremost, we are people, and people with emotions and people with feelings. And if we want those people to collaborate with us, to cooperate with, with us, we need to be prepared to meet them on their own terms. I don't think John Novak realized what he was heading down a path on when he published his book. And he only talked about certain things. It's gotten way beyond that. But the idea of an invitation to anybody else to be a friend, to be a partner, to be a fellow worker or a colleague goes a lot further than to pretend that there's status and you need to do this and I'm in charge and you're not. There's a lot to be said for being the Pied Piper of Hamlin.